This is your other brother's podcast. Other Brothers Podcast, navigating faith, homosexuality, and masculinity together. I'm your host, Tom, and here with me is my brother, Ryan. Hey, everyone. What's up, Ryan? You didn't restate your name this time. No, I was very careful not to, but I am Ryan, by the way. You are Ryan. Ryan's here. And joining us from the Midwest, surviving the polar vortex, it's our brother, Dean. What's up, Dean? Hey, guys. That's a very nice sweater you have, Dean. It looks like you're keeping warm. Uh, I am. The polar vortex is over, but uh, it's still like in the 30s right here. So I figured I would still dress a little bit warmly today. It's like a spring day compared to what you guys what you guys had. And yeah, this would be this would be a great episode if it was just me, Ryan and Dean like that. We've done that before. We've done that multiple times and it's been great. We've had great episodes, great conversations, great laughs, great musical moments. And uh, yeah, but but yeah, this is a special episode because we have a very special guest. Ryan, do you want to maybe introduce our very special guest today? Sure. Um, here as our special guest today, we have one of the pastors at my church. His name is Matt Stevens, and he's been uh, he's been leading at my church since since its beginning, more than uh, what like fifteen years ago, maybe mm-hmm. 16. yeah, sixteen years ago. So uh, so yeah, we're excited to have him here to talk about um, to talk about what what ministry to sexual minorities, LGBT, same-sex attracted folks looks like uh, at our church. And he's been very closely involved in the ministry that I've been leading called Intersect. Um, So we'll be talking a lot more about that later in the episode. Yeah, we're really, really excited to have you, Matt. Thanks Thanks. for coming. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for coming, Matt. And there are many exciting reasons for your being here, which we will be (laughs) diving into very soon. But uh, I'm so glad you're here. Dean, what is your reaction to being in the room with Matt right now? Um, I'm freaking out a little bit on the inside. I'm (laughs) super, super like. Okay, no offense against you guys. Tom, Ryan, I love you both. You're dear you're my dear brothers. But honestly, I cleared my schedule to make sure I was on this podcast today for Matt. So. <laughs> right. There are times where we try to do we try to do job calls with like the other authors and try to like just get to, you know, have monthly regular interactions. And there are times mm-hmm. where Dean is like, nope, I'm not free between this time and this time. And I, I noticed a lot more flexibility on your end for this uh, this particular engagement. Your so. daughter even figured out how to put herself to bed, huh? Your daughter yeah. fed herself, dressed herself, got to bed. Yeah, yeah. This one, uh, this one was definitely, you know, a uh, hey, just tell me what time we were doing this, and I will, you know. <laughs> rearrange my life to make sure I am here for this one. Th- there wasn't going to be an option where I wasn't going to be here today. So mm. very nice. Well, some of our listeners might be wondering, uh, mm. what what's the big deal? Why is why is Dean why is Dean prioritized this so high? Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, um, Matt, do you want to like share just a little yeah. bit about your life? Are you your claim? Are you some name? sort of minor Christian celebrity? <laughs> I'm I'm the least known 
minor Christian celebrity because <laughs> nobody knows who I am. But when you tell them what I've done, that's when that's when Dean would freak out. If you just told him my name, yeah. you wouldn't know anything. But well, this is really exciting because we've actually this is like um, it's like one of those moments like in our our story, our podcast history, our even our community history. Like multiple episodes ago, we brought up this particular YouTube video series. And it was a really fantastic, like, forerunner, I think, to where we are today. And really, Dean, like, I don't know about you, but this is why, this is why I do what I do. It's to, like, get moments and interviews and engagements like the one that we're about to have with, with Matt, who, yeah, Matt, why don't you just explain maybe where, where we would happen to know you, where maybe some of our listeners might happen to know you, quote unquote. You may have heard uh, the voice of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> literally or, or metaphorically or uh well ironically <laughs> yeah very very ironically um <clears throat> you may have you may have written at some point in your life a scathing review on a youtube video um that told me i'm going to hell um, yeah for the videos that i made these are the um I guess they would be known as the Jesus videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you uh, just say the Jesus geez. videos yeah. or the vintage Jesus videos, mm -hmm. I mean, it still blows my mind that I've known Ryan goes to vintage church for a couple years now, and it blows my mind that I never made the connection that that word vintage was connected to these videos that I watched in high school. Dean, did you watch them that early, like high school, college? I didn't watch them that early. Actually, I was, so I was thinking back, this is long diversion uh, for you, Matt, but I was thinking back to like, you know, I was thinking about this call today and like how excited I was. And I just want to let you know, it's not just because of how funny the videos are. I bet I got to them in grad school. Um, I grew up very conservative, so I never would have seen the videos because my church would have never let those videos be like in existence. I'm pretty sure some of my friends or something like that probably were the people who wrote the scathing reviews. Um, but it wasn't until I was in grad school because I had be grown up conservative, become a Christian in college, was so bitter about the church that I left the church completely. When I got to grad school, I wanted to go back. So I went to a church that was probably the complete opposite in some ways. It was a very contemporary non-denominational church. And they introduced me to the videos. Uh, some of the people there were like, hey, have you seen these Jesus videos? And I went, no, no, what is this? And they showed them to me and I loved them because I felt like it was healing. Like here was the ridiculousness of my past and how I used to view the Bible. And it was these videos playing it out for me in a way that was saying, this is not right. And it was just like healing to actually see these videos and watch them and just realize, yeah, this was, I, I did leave the beliefs that I should have left because they were false. They were wrong. They were, they were these traditions that we held to over the truth of the Bible. And so honestly, I loved them and I would watch them over and over again because it was just healing to heal, hear someone else relate to what I used to believe and help me understand that I was walking towards better beliefs. Man, that's, that really makes me feel good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so wait, they weren't just supposed to be funny. Right, there was actually right. something that came out of it. Yeah. Yeah. For those that aren't aware, if you're just like new to the show or you have no idea what we're talking about, we will post a link to those videos in the podcast notes for this episode. So you can watch those if you're unaware. But yeah, we brought it up a couple episodes on our Jesus episode. We did a Jesus episode of the podcast and brought it up and, 
And now here we are, <laughs> a couple episodes later. What was like the <clears throat> backstory on those videos being made? Like, who thought about it? Did you write it? Did you just recite words for it? Like, what was? I guess maybe a little behind the scenes on yeah. those videos. Yeah. So, um, vintage when the church started. Well, we were called Vintage Twenty One at the time, mm. and uh, and we also didn't call ourselves a church. We just called ourselves a community. It's very millennial. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, two, it's 2002, y'all. Uh-huh. <laughs> Things were different. <laughs> and uh, we were about five months in, and from the first day, one of the things that was really important to us was, um, it was very much back then, we started the church in a very reactionary way, uh, meaning we were reacting to what we felt was not represented in a lot of either mainstream church or churches we had experienced. For me, that was... Uh, I played music, and a lot of my friends in bands or just that I knew as artists who were not believers, I wanted a church that they would come to. And so that affected how we shaped everything. And so from the first day, we said we are a church of doubters, seekers, and followers, and really tried to live that out and play that out. And so realizing that we had a lot of people who did not believe, um, we were doing a series on Jesus and we were only like five months into being a church at all. Mm. And we were just going to do a series on the, you know, the person of, of, of Jesus. And I was the worship pastor and was thinking of creative ways to incorporate video. And I remembered this video that I had that my sister had given me on VHS a few years earlier when I was the, the really serious Christian in our family. (laughs) So they do things like buy you, VHS videos mm. of a really terrible movie. And I'd put it in, and it's just awful. Um, the second video where he is at the podium really stood out to me because I just thought, that's a modern podium. They didn't even try mm. to make it look you know, <laughs> like old or ancient at all. I thought, what if we took our misconceptions about Jesus, our preconceived notions, and actually played it out mm. and, and made it seem like he was really that way? And it would show how ridiculous... It would shine a light on mm-hmm. the false beliefs and, and uh, the ways that we have misrepresented or misunderstood Jesus. And so all I did was I took a notepad and wrote down every, everything that people say about Christians or about Jesus. You know, so only, only care about money, uh, really um, judgmental, moralistic, you know, just all the things. And then I just watched the video and kind of wrote a script based on, you know, what I thought they would be saying. Yeah, so then I got I got a microphone and then just recorded, you know, watched the video and recorded all the voices and and um, and played it out. And then we showed it in church. And the first week we showed it, no one laughed <laughs> at all. I would have loved to be there for the first the first time. Well, actually, so two of my friends laughed because they turned around and laughed at me because <laughs> they they were looking at me like I can't believe you did this. Well, what we realize is. The people that were at our church at the time were either they were leaving a church feeling that they were not um, being cared for. And so they felt maybe burned by church. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of the people that were there. Or they'd never been to church. Mm -hmm. And if you had felt like the church has burned you, then uh, you may be a little scarred. And so the last thing you're going to do is feel the freedom to laugh at Jesus. <laughs> if you've never been to church, you're certainly not going to laugh at Jesus because you don't even know what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we started, the second week we introduced them, and then 
But the introduction the second <laughs> week was this well-meaning MC, and I think she got up and was just like, okay, y'all, here's another video about Jesus. And then they just played. <laughs> Still nobody laughed. So the third week, Tyler, who's the, the lead pastor, um, stood up and was like, there's a thing called sarcasm, everybody. And here's what he like, really played it out and explained what it meant. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we, uh, we put them online. And this was 2003. YouTube was not out yet. But Google Video had just come out. Mm. And, or it was coming out soon. And it, it got so big, it was on Google's homepage. Like Google Video's homepage. Oh, my gosh. Just being populated wow. by views, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and after that, uh, we got a bill, I think, for something like $30,000 <laughs> for, you know, the bandwidth or streaming costs, and we just wrote them back and said, we're not paying this. And then we had to take them down, but then by then it was just rolling. Wow. Yeah. My gosh. By then the legacy was already established mm-hmm. for eons to come. Very nice. Very cool. Yeah, it's awesome. That's really cool to hear the, the backstory on these videos. Like never in a million years would I have ever dreamt that, oh yeah, I'm going to meet the person who like helped make that thing happen. <laughs> these videos, like I was like, Seriously, my friends, like, we would watch these videos. We'd be like, oh, man, it's been, like, three years since we've watched those videos. Time to, time to break them out. Time to watch those <laughs> videos again. And, uh, and that's what we've done. Do you have a favorite line or favorite? You don't have to use the Jesus voice. Do I yeah. have a favorite line? <laughs> um, well, do, you don't have to <laughs> with quote marks. But, <laughs> but dot, dot, dot. Actually, the only uh, the only time besides the video that I've ever used the voice was when we had a guest at our church who loved them, and mm-hmm. I I thanked him mm-hmm. using using mm-hmm. the voice. So um, it's kind of been a thing that I hadn't pulled it out, but I feel like I might be able to do, do it. Do you here. feel the spirit moving? Yeah, do you feel- <laughs> yeah. the spirit of that weird yeah. Jesus. <laughs> the weird, spirit of weird Jesus, please be in this place right now. <laughs> what is yeah? What is a uh, what is a line that you are particularly proud of both like the placement of it, the inflection of it, the scene. Well, the one that gets used the most at camps or youth groups or churches or anything is the third one. Cause that seems to be the most obvious, you know, Jesus is being very judgmental. And at the end, he basically says, I've done all of these amazing things for this one reason to tell you all you're going to hell. That's it. <laughs> you know, and that's, mm-hmm. and it's just it. So that one, I think it's the most play. And I, I like, um, but I think what I'm most proud of is in the fourth one, it ended up being longer than the others mm-hmm. because I wanted to put this one thing in there that had nothing to do with the rest of the video. But in the very beginning, Jesus is riding in on a donkey, and I'm just struck by how bored he looks. I mean, <laughs> he looks like, what am I doing? Who are these people? Uh-huh. You know. And so that exchange with him and the guy with the donkey... Um, but my favorite line is, I think, when he's he's there and the guy's leading him in on the donkey and he says, um, um, he says, he says, I say. <laughs> <laughs> he meaning I. Yeah. Weird Jesus. Um, he's riding on the donkey and he says, all right, stop, stop, get me off this thing. I walked on water. I think I can walk to the door. <laughs> <laughs> good night everybody that's the episode so good. oh my gosh i'm crying <laughs> thank you thank you matt mm. i was honestly like praying i went through some prayer and fasting leading up to this moment i'm just like please lord let him let him speak speak these words of yeah. life onto this <laughs> dean dean was that was that uh good for you as it was for me <laughs> 
I, I legitimately have tears right now. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah, that was that was great. Oh my gosh. I think my other favorite line is something along the lines of, "I know what you did, but I can't say it because I'm Jesus." <laughs> I mean, there's so many, so many greatest hits from that line. Mm-hmm. That was great. I uh, yeah, we we will post the link to the videos so y'all can enjoy those if you haven't already. I can't imagine. I can't imagine us talking about it the first time several episodes ago didn't inspire you to go and watch them that you wouldn't know what we're talking about now. But for everyone out there, that was that was like this is like our biggest interview yet. <laughs> you really like set the bar high. Like someday we'll get Jackie Hill Perry or um, Greg Coles Preston or Sprinkle. Preston Sprinkle. We'll get some of those guys like, eventually. But... Do you have any viral videos? <laughs> do you have any from viral the early videos? 2000s? Yeah. How many millions? Upon millions of views, do you have? Yeah, exactly. I can do the rest of the interview in the voice, but <laughs> we want to like. I don't know how serious <laughs> it would be. If you did the rest of the interview in the voice, I wouldn't be able to speak. Because I would just I was be like, it might uh, inhibit our uh, conversation. But uh, thank like, you for obliging not only me, not only Dean, not only Ryan, but untold tens of people listening right, right. now. Yeah, we really appreciate. You've it. honored us greatly. <laughs> You've honored us greatly. You're welcome. Yeah, well, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to do it. You, you unleashed it. <laughs> well, y'all, we had another iTunes review this episode. So big shout out to all of our iTunes reviewers. Yeah, so I don't know if you all even know, but it's so easy to go onto iTunes, click some stars that light up, and just type some words, and boom. It helps us out in a big way. Um this is great. I love, I've gotten to know this person over the last couple months after he's become a supporter. And so this is really exciting to be able to read his review. Um, but it's from an, a username called Overweight to Triathlete. Overweight to Triathlete. Hmm. And his subject line says, Alaska has a Yob member, Ooh. which is like really exciting right off the bat. Uh, but he said this, the Yob podcast has blessed me in so many ways. I used to be extremely scared to even be around men or talk to them. I always knew that I was attracted to men, but knew that I wanted to stand up to it biblically and didn't know how to explain it and felt so alone. I was so happy when I was introduced to the Yob family. I was able to talk and get to know other men who struggle with the same thing. I'm happy to say that Yob has finally made it to Alaska, and I hope to be able to share Yob with others in Alaska. So that's so cool. He can probably see Russia from his house. (laughs) We're not living in 2008 anymore sadly <laughs> but yeah thanks to our uh yeah our amazing brother it's been great to get to know him um if you guys love what we're doing we would love an itunes review we're rapidly approaching 100 reviews now ratings and reviews so super exciting super glad to uh yeah just to be doing something that makes it all the way to alaska and we've gotten reviews and emails from people all over the world as you know for those that are longtime listeners playing the map game we've heard from people living li- living everywhere so it's been really cool to to see where yob makes the rounds um we also have a patreon page for those that aren't aware patreon.com slash your other bros um and it's our way to keep this community going people have been supporting patreon for a couple years now a lot of the comments and feedback you're going to hear in this episode as we talk about churches and ministry um, relating to ssa and lgbt people a lot of that comes from the Yobbers group that we have, a bunch of people who support Yob financially every single month. Um, and it's really amazing to be able to connect with them on such a regular basis. So if you're interested in becoming a Yobber, you can go to patreon.com slash your other bros for all the information there. And before we dive into this episode, we need to thank our sponsor for this episode. 
Because y'all, why get to know somebody? Why like go to coffee with someone? Why get to know their story? Why ask them any questions? When you can just pull something out of your pocket, slide it across the table, they open it up and there could be a dollar sign on the front, there could be a flag on the front, there could be anything on the front. But essentially this tract is now going to save the person for you. You don't have to do any work. This is how we reach people through Tracks, our, our sponsor for this episode. Thank you, Tracts. Which I had to Google, was it Track or is it Tract? And I think it's Tracts with a T. Um, yeah, why get to know someone's story when a piece of paper can do the work for you? So give them a tract and that'll, that'll get them included in the church. It's so get convenient. To know Jesus. Can I protest our sponsor? You can't. <laughs> you should have a whole stack of tracts because you work at a church, Dean, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I used to be a waiter in a restaurant. And Ooh, did you get tracks some tracks? For the, I used I I had friends and uh, even I would get tracks instead of tips, not with tips, instead of tips. <laughs> right, because it's so much better, right? <laughs> it's so great. Because think, if they gave you two dollars, what two dollars, maybe five, maybe ten dollars, like you're gonna spend that in a day. But that tract, that is gonna have some, some life. That's gonna take you places. Matt, I can't reach Tom. Can you talk to me? <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Trax, for sponsoring this episode. As we dive into church and ministry um, regarding folks like us. So Ryan, at the beginning, I actually wanted to mention at the beginning, and then we got off and running. I didn't get to address it. So you kind of rattled through all the labels for people like mm-hmm. us. So you said sexual minorities. Mm-hmm. You said LGBT+. plus. You said mm-hmm. SSA. Matt and Dean, for that matter, what are y'all's favorite labels for people like us. <laughs> Do you have a favorite label of choice for uh, how to interact with us? <laughs> Dean is speechless. Uh, I typically go with whatever label someone chooses to utilize for themselves. Uh, That's a safe I want to respect their choice and how they present themselves. And so if they prefer to be uh, identified as just a sexual minority, I will use that. If they prefer to identify within the LGBT community somewhere, I'd respect that. If they prefer to say that they have same-sex attraction, I will respect that, and I will, I will use that. So I don't really have a favorite. I just kind of, however people w- identify, and I respect their decision to do so. Yeah, m- mine is similar. I've Ryan and I have actually had conversations about this, and not just about the terminology, but... Uh, that you would use in a one-on-one basis, but how we would use it at the church mm-hmm. in print or, you know, considering the audience is a church congregation, how we can best communicate to them uh, in a way that is, for a lot of people, um, an unfamiliar vernacular or not knowing what it means. So I think we use non-straight. Yeah. That's another one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Forgot about the non-straight option. That well. Sort of like, you know, an umbrella term to the umbrella term. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That's good. Well, I was hoping, yeah, just to start out this episode, um, Matt and Ryan, to kind of get to know y'all a little bit better. You can talk about, I mean, you can take it wherever you want, how you guys met each other, how Intersect happened, what, yeah, what kind of conversations y'all have had over the years. Well, first of all, yeah, how long have y'all even known each other? I say years, and it's like, how, has it been a month <laughs> or two months? <laughs> I couldn't tell you when I first, you know, shook Matt's hand and introduced myself. Um, I think the our 
I think our the real part of our relationship started um, right after I posted on my personal blog kind of my big coming out post. And, um, and either that day or the next day, I got an email from Matt. One of my friends had kind of really reposted it on Facebook, and Matt saw it on Facebook and sent me an email saying, um, I really appreciated that or enjoyed reading that. Um, would you be free to meet sometime soon? And... Um, and the way he phrased it made me, you know, understand on a, on a mental level, like, oh, there's nothing to be nervous about, you know, <laughs> um, Matt's a great guy. He's going to be on my side, but, um, but of course it's, it, you know, it's hard not to feel a little bit of trepidation or uncertainty leading up to a meeting like that. Um, but I remember, uh, kind of the first thing you asked me, Matt, when, once we sat down was, has anyone at Vintage given you a hard time over this? Because if, if, if they have, I'm going to sit down and have a long talk with them about it. And, um, and man, that like meant so much to me that your first instinct was like protectiveness and, um, and how can I make sure that, um, how can I make sure that Vintage is a safe and good space for Ryan to be? Um, so that's kind of like, I would say that that that's about the beginning of our relationship. Is that that's what I remember as yeah. well. I remember, you know, I knew you mm-hmm. in the church as part of the church and in serving in the church and probably a hello here and there. Mm-hmm. There's Ryan, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. But it wasn't until I read your post and then we met mm-hmm. soon after that I feel like we became friends. Yeah, yeah. And then we didn't really start working together over Intersect um, until later on in intersex history, um, I've been working with some other pastors, uh, at the beginning and for the next, for the year or so after intersect launched, but then the pastor who I had been working with, um, left staff and went to a different church and Matt sort of took up, took up that mantle as, as the pastor who, who was my primary point of contact for intersect. So, that's really, I feel like, when we started to work together in ministry, but also um, also meet together regularly and just catch up and um, give me a place to kind of share my life with one of the pastors of the church. So that's been really great, too. Yeah. So, Matt, so, like, what is one of the things that... So you talked about, like, with when you sat down with Ryan, you want to make sure that he had been... You know, he, no one had said anything to him. You read his story. Um what did you have anything like a long-term goal kind of in mind in your relationship or was it simply just kind of taking a next step to get to know one of your congregants? The first thing I felt was care for Ryan because I thought how difficult that must have been to write and post that without knowing what the response would be. And I wanted to make sure that he heard from maybe feeling like a staff member or a pastor in the church, immediately uh, affirmation and love and care. So that was the first thing. I didn't think long-term, uh, Intersect didn't even exist, right? No, no, no not the point. Yeah. yeah. So it didn't think ministry or group or anything like that. It was just, here's an individual. Wow, that was incredible and beautiful. And, um, you know, I wanted him to feel loved right away. So that was the first, um, yeah, that was the first thought I had with us meeting and just to hear his story because I knew that what you wrote is going to be your story, but Mm -hmm. also in conversation, there might be a chance to be a little bit more 
mm-hmm. candid or hear mm-hmm. what it has been like to be a part of the church because, mm-hmm. um, you know, being a pastor in the church, I care about people's experience. I guess you could say like caring about not only about his experience within the church, but how other people in the church have interacted with him based on his experience. Uh, so it's not just his experience in his life that brought him here, but the experience he's had not only being in the church, but being a gay man in the church and how the rest of the congregation is kind of, or the rest of the community has interacted with him, I guess. Yes. And, you know, with a church like ours, or what I would say any church, you, if you say you're welcoming everyone, then I'm also, I'm also thinking of the bigot and the person that might have hate in their heart and I want to love them. And so I want to protect Ryan. I also want to know who those people are that might have some deep-seated prejudices or misunderstandings, and I want to care for them as well. It sometimes feels like when people start to leave over an issue, uh, it's I want to bring them back in so that we can work on issues together and we can we can be a big messy family. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's for and that you know to be honest, it's a lot harder for people who are. Uh, closed-minded or hateful or bigoted, you know, those racist or something, those are the people that I have the hardest time reaching out to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to care for them too. Yeah, I remember one of our guest speakers speaking about race one time kind of made the point that, well, if if the church is going to be what it's supposed to be, then you're going to have racists in your church. like Because they very much need Jesus and the church is the place where they're going to encounter Jesus. Is there a place long term for racism in your church? Absolutely not. But, um, but like, if you don't have racists in your church, then like, are you reaching all the people you need to be reaching? And I think that applies for yeah. homophobia too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so I talked about intersect a bit on the very first podcast episode I was on. It's called a. Uh, support groups support groups and blast from the past yeah we'll put a link to that <laughs> in the description but basically intersect is our church's ministry fellowship kind of for uh for non-straight people so our kind of executive summary is that intersect is a safe space for doubters seekers and followers of jesus to explore the intersection of non-straight sexuality and faith in Jesus. Um, and so basically we're trying to uh, open that space for people wherever they are in their faith journey to um, to explore what it means to follow Jesus, but also, um, also be same-sex attracted or gay or lesbian or, or whatever. Um, because I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said about what it means to have that sexual experience, but also be following Jesus. And so we wanted to create mm-hmm. a safe space for that to happen. How often do you meet together, Ryan? So we meet about once a month. And in the past, we have had a roundtable discussion in general, open only to the non-straight folks who are coming. Um, But this year, we're actually transitioning to a more hospitality-oriented kind of event, kind of gathering. And so we're having dinner together once a month. And we're also inviting some other folks from within our community to join us and to, um, to kind of partake in our conversation. And, um, and so this past month, we, we met at the church and um, we had a few folks from, um, from one of our guys 
church Bible study from uh, there. There are there are people outside of Indonesia come to this, and so he brought some friends from his kind of home church Bible study to participate. And yeah, we had a really great conversation about um, lots of different things. I've, I've set up conversation questions to sort of start start like surface level, get to know each other, icebreakery kind of questions, but then progressively get deeper and heavier um, and kind of lead us into more intimate conversation, more vulnerable conversation. So, um, so yeah, that was awesome. I, I'm this year looking forward to um, kind of putting the word out there to the rest of the church that we would love families in the church to host us for dinner and invite some of their friends, some of their community group um, people over to... Um, to just meet and connect and get to know us and for us to get to know them. Um, I've seen so much fruit come from these kinds of times in our ministry where these connections start to form between people who come to Intersect and, and people who are part of the larger church community. Um, and so I just want to create more opportunities for those, those kinds of experiences. All right. Well, so I put it out there to our yobbers because I wanted to kind of gauge where everyone was. Um, because not everybody has an intersect or has some kind of support group or has some kind of, well, certainly some sort of connection to a pastor in, in a church. And I know, Ryan, you do. Dean, obviously you do. And I myself do. I'm pretty blessed as well. Um, but a lot of people aren't. And so I put it out there. I wanted to know, like, do you have a pastor or do you have a church group or do you have some kind of spiritual community where you're able to be open um, with your story? And it was kind of half and half. Like it kind of felt like maybe half, maybe slightly more than half has at least has at least a group or has at least a group of people in the church that are aware. Um, but by and large, as I was reading comments and kind of gauging, um, as I was trying to gauge everyone's experience, it seems like, yeah, most people don't have that kind of connection to, to the pastor. And I uh, just wanted to read maybe a few, a few stories. If y'all have any thoughts, feel free to, to chime in. But um, some of our stories are kind of heartbreaking. Um, one guy said, not really. Last year, I was pretty much forced from the church I attended and served at for nine years based on an accusation made to the associate pastor. Rather than ask any questions, he jumped to some conclusion on his own. I went and talked to the senior pastor before everything got completely out of hand. And though he didn't seem to be judging or making any conclusions of his own, he never asked me any questions to try to clear up the situation. That's really sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hope that this episode isn't a downer because th- I want to like highlight the... Uh, that's why we have you here, Matt and Ryan and Dean for you that also for that matter, like, cause there's a lot of really good people with good hearts that want to help people and minister to people. Um, but at the same time, it's a tricky balance. Cause then we don't, I don't want to just like sugarcoat like, Oh man, look at all these awesome things that are happening. Cause there mm-hmm. actually is a lot of, um, hard stuff that are, that's happening out there as well. You can contrast that with another story, which is very simple. It's just like, no, my pastor doesn't know. I don't blame him as he's simply ignorant of my situation. And I think there's a lot of stories out that out there too, where people just don't feel it comes back to safety. Like, do they feel safe to share their story? Not that everyone has to, certainly, but is there at least some kind of option that theoretically one day I could share my story with somebody? And I got the sense from people commenting that there's not a level of safety too, where that mm. that option could theoretically be possible someday. Because I never would have thought as a teenager that I would ever share my story with anybody. And maybe you guys mm. can relate with that too. But it's nice when that option was there to be able to step into that. Well, from my experience in talking with a lot of a lot of church leaders is that they aren't really aware that there's a possibility that someone in their congregation or in their church could be 
gay or could be same-sex attracted, could be LGBT in some way. And when you bring that up to them, they looked shocked, like, well, no, I would have heard about this. Or I would have, you know, so they would tell me or I would know, I would be able to tell. And it's almost like there's a lot of churches that they just don't ever give off the uh, impression that it's safe because they're not aware that they need to because they haven't connected the idea that it would be something that would be present in their congregation. Because, um, I mean, I know I've brought it up to church leaders before. I've said, you know, they guarantee there's probably someone in your, in your church that's not straight, especially like youth leaders. I bring up all the time with youth leaders that there's most likely a student in your ministry, at least one, that is not straight or possibly not even cisgender. They they would identify as transgender and somehow, and they all, they look at me shocked and they go, no, that, that just wouldn't be possible. I would know. And I have to tell them that statistically, it's very likely. And even away from that, from my practical experience, it's pretty likely. I, I have yet to really meet a, a youth group of more than like 30 kids that hasn't had someone involved that would not, that would identify as LGBT in some way. Yeah. And growing up in the closet kind of by definition makes you really good at flying under the radar, right? Like, yeah, yeah. they call it the closet for a reason, right? <laughs> Yep. It's not the living room. <laughs> that's for sure. I guess, Matt, I want to bring you into the conversation. Like, what's been your experience after connecting with Ryan and, and being this, like, point man for Intersect? Like, has your eye, have your eyes been opened, I guess, more so than they were before as far as sexual minorities in the church, in youth groups, in congregations? Absolutely. We, I've, I have been contacted and I've had conversations uh, over the years of the church with many uh, non-straight people who have come in looking for a church. And what I've found is that a lot of the people that contact me or the church uh, are testing the waters. And mm. I never know what they're looking for. And so the first thing I want to do is sit down so we can talk. And when we have that discussion, uh, it becomes clear that some folks are looking for, um, I think what they would say is maybe affirming. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for, is this a place my partner and I can come and, um, and be safe and be welcomed and be affirmed? Through Intersect, well, not even through Intersect. I'm grateful for Intersect because it allows people in the church, when they're ready, to take a step that they may have uh, it's it's almost like um, an opportunity or a path that they can take a step if they're not comfortable uh, um, letting it out on a website or even talking to someone one-on-one. But it, it's a group that they may feel safe in. So I'm thankful for that reason because I'm thinking of if it's me and I, like you said, they may have gotten good at hiding mm-hmm. if you've grown up in the closet. And if it's me... How do you how do you know you'll be accepted? And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there with that um, in mind. I would like to have a conversation, but I don't know what the response is going to be. And so I appreciate Intersect for that because hopefully people feel like there is a there is a response already in place for me. Yeah, and I feel like it also helps because some people when they're kind of looking for a church where you know they and their partner can go. They, they have this expectation that either the church that they're going to discover at Vintage, either is going to be uh, fully affirming of their, of their relationship, of their marriage, whatever, 
and they're going to be able to lead in any given capacity and um, and perform any given role in the church. Um, or their expectation is that uh, is that they will be kind of chastised and shamed for being gay and for having having that background, that experience, that sexual orientation. And I think not many people are really expecting kind of the the model that Vintage takes, which is, you know, I'm I'm a gay man and I'm leading this ministry and I'm a member of the church, I'm serving the kids ministry. Um, and so it's not like it's not like Vintage is saying we're restricting you because of your sexual orientation, your sexuality. Um, you know, we do teach a traditional marriage and sexual ethic. And so that's going to affect, um, you know, what, what opportunities we put in front of, um, anyone gay or straight. Um, but I think intersect is really helpful to demonstrate that we do have, uh, we do have ministries and initiatives being led by gay people at vintage. And yeah, so I feel like that doesn't fit neatly always into people's expectations, but I think that's a good thing. I think, um, I think it can be challenging, challenging in a good way to, to different people. I think through our friendship too, so beyond Intersect that I've learned a lot about your story and other people's stories as well of what it's like to be a part of a church um, and feel like there's a part of you that you can't talk about. Mm. And that has been that has been a challenge to my faith and my upbringing and my understanding of uh, the LGBTQ community and, Mm -hmm. and what it's like to be a part of a church. Because I think growing up, at least for me and probably many people listening, there's, it was either you're a part of the church and it's because you're not talking about it or you're outside of the church and they're there. And that seemed to me that if there's any, any restriction upon your being a part of the church, that that is anti to what Jesus would teach, what he did teach and what he said, there was never a part of somebody that he did not, he did not love them. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think a lot of our conversations have really challenged not even challenged, that has broadened my view of love. Mm. Um, not just the scope and extent of it, but even what it means to be a loving community and to have loving relationships with people beyond just that, you know, uh, partner situation. Yeah. But friendship, the mm. love of friendship mm. has, has grown from um, a lot of our conversations and you sharing mm. your story. Mm. So that, that has even affected how I see friendships, not just ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's affected how I see church community, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't. I would not have that without you. Mm. So for me, it's been a gift to me, and I know the church overall, but not just. Thank you, Ryan, for leading Intersect. Mm-hmm. You know, it is wow. You have shown me the love of of God mm-hmm. from just being my friend. Aw, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Um, Dean, I wanted to get your perspective on this particular story, since y'all are similar in so many ways. He prefaced it, as he was answering these questions that I put out there, he prefaced it by saying that my answers might be a little different, since I am a pastor myself. Um, And regarding this issue about his story and feeling safe 
um, this pastor of a church said, yes, my church has been great. Sure, it was a struggle coming out to my church, but they've been supportive and loving and including me into their families. I needed my church to show the love of Christ during that difficult time, and they did. So first of all, that's super encouraging that there is a yeah. there can yeah. be pastors who also are part of a sexual minority. It doesn't have to be all straight married men. Um, but I'm curious, yeah, just your perspective, Dean, as someone who's also in ministry, um, working at a church as as somebody in our community, what's uh, what your perspective is like? Yeah, I mean that's that is awesome that his church had that response because that could have gone so many other ways. Um, but yeah, that that's incredible. Uh, I mean, it's it's very it's fun working in a church while not being straight. We'll just put it that way, uh, because you it, so many people view the LGBT community in the church as enemies, or they view it as a, like a conservative church. Like I, I'm at a conservative church and a traditional church, and so a lot of people view them as in enemies and so it's kind of weird working in that environment because uh, as I've come out to people I'm not out to the whole church I'm out to the staff but I'm not out to the whole church and so even as coming out to the staff some of the reactions would be a little bit they would be surprised just because I was working in a traditional church I'm also married and I have a child and so there was no reason for them to ever suspect uh, that I would have a sexuality other than being straight and so coming out about that yeah, it was almost like, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to hate this? Aren't you supposed to hate everything about this? Uh, and so even then when I had, when I would talk with some of my friends who knew me uh, simply, you know, because they knew my sexuality, they were the same thing. They were just like, don't, that seems like you're changing. Are you changing yourself? And I would say, no, I'm, I'm still, you know, still uh, queer. That hasn't changed. And they would go, well, how, how can they go work at a church then? And uh, it really was just very – I had to resolve the fact that I was going to go into ministry and I was not going to have an easy time. And I kind of had to come to peace with I was going to face heat from all sides and that there was potential that it would not go well for me either because people in the church would not react well or people outside the church would not react well. And so – it almost puts more at stake because you're not only talking about your community. For me, we're talking about my livelihood. So if it doesn't go well, uh, not only is it just uh, a bad rap because people are not going to be representing Christ well and I'm going to be hurt by a community that should you know, should be helping me in life, should be caring for me and caring my, helping me carry the burdens of my life. Not only that, I'll also be out of a job. I'll be out of work and I'll suddenly – be scrounging around trying to provide for my family. And so it's whatever the tension that is felt walking into a church as an LGBT person, walking in there as a staff hire is probably even greater because you're, it's affecting every aspect of my life. Like there's not a part of my life that's not touched by the fact that I am not straight and work at a church because this is how I provide for my family. And so, yeah, the the story of uh, of the person from the readers group, you know, sharing that it was welcome. That that's awesome because um, that could have gone sideways. I, I've been blessed that the churches that I've worked at have all reacted really well. Um, two of them, the first two churches I worked at, knew before I was even hired. 
Uh, my last church, I had told them shortly after I was hired, and I was very fortunate that they were able to um, not. They were able to see that it was not an intentional lie to deceive them, but it really was just in a hiring process. You don't really take time to talk about someone's sexuality. You know, that's not one of the. We don't check. You don't check sexuality on the interview uh, application. And it didn't come up during the interview process, and I wasn't really sure how to introduce it at all. And so it, I was brought onto my current church, and it was after I was hired that we started talking about it, and they found out. And, but they responded very graciously and, um, you know, said, if anything, else, if anything, the my story and my testimony was evidence uh, even more powerfully of the grace that God has displayed in my life that I would sacrifice even uh, the possibility of being with another man to follow what I believed to be biblical, to pursue Christ over everything in my life, even to the point of not fault, not pursuing a relationship that my, that I would have desired because of my sexual orientation. So yeah, that's being in ministry and not being straight. It's uh. It's like kind of like standing in the middle of the road. You're probably going to get hit by two semis going the opposite direction. Mm. What a vivid metaphor that is. Well, I wanted to figure out as we're diving into this, I wanted to hear some stories from people, people in the church and just kind of get, again, try to gauge more of where people are from, some positive experiences and maybe not so positive ones. So let's start with the not so positive ones and then we'll, we'll get to a more hopeful place. Um, some people had this to say about their experience with, uh, yeah, just experiencing their sexuality in the church. Um, one guy said early in my journey to Christ, an idiot at the pulpit said, all gays go to hell. I walked away from the church and stayed away for 20 years, mm. which is crazy. I mean, 20 years, that's like two thirds of my current life. Like I can't imagine just like someone saying something and then having that long lasting of an impact mm. on my relationship with the church. Like that's super, super devastating to hear something like that. Yeah. I won't, but they're in the church now. They are in the church now, yes, yeah. as far as I know. <laughs> um, and then someone else, um, from my experience, the church's door is open to sinners that have not yet been saved, but if you have been saved, you best not sin. Um, along the same lines, someone else said, we took communion at church, and the pastor dropped, and the pastor dropped hints as to who was allowed to take communion. And if you were in the gay, gay lifestyle, emphasis on were, and stumble just once, then you're okay to partake. I think those two are related in a common view of the gospel that is lacking fullness. Mm -hmm. It is a, to me, it's a gospel of salvation only. And it is almost... I feel that there's an influence of Western Western culture, upward mobility of your journey being once you're saved, then you are on your way up the mountain, growing mm -hmm. in holiness every day, mm -hmm. and you're just moving upward and upward and upward. And so there's not room for darkness mm -hmm. or, um, or sin or... Um, depression even you know so it, it, it's not even just like a, you can't mess up it is there needs to be a happiness mm -hmm. um with your 
faith journey uh, where happiness isn't promised, but joy is. Mm-hmm. And within joy, we see in Scripture, and I think all of us who, when you go through suffering, which is part of the walk, mm-hmm. there's going to be joy. And that's what I don't understand is that how there can be a, well, let me say this. I think when you have that view of the gospel, then you can't reconcile that with suffering. And you also can't reconcile it with any sort of sin, um, habitual sin. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm advocating for habitual sin as part of the faith journey, but I think that I think that this this minimal view of the gospel of being salvation only, and then from there being uh, moving on up, um, which makes me want to sing the Jefferson <laughs> song. So, Dean, there's, a, there's Dean <laughs> to the east side. <laughs> but yeah, it is a very like flat two dimensional view of salvation and sanctification, where it, it's so simplistic. Where you know, real life is way more complicated than that. Yeah. Someone else had this to say about his experience in the church. Um, he said, some people have been very supportive, but it seems like no one wants to talk to me about it. Like, it's shameful that this is a part of my life. I hope to be proven wrong, but I can't imagine anyone over the age of 30 at church who would genuinely want to take the time to invest in me. You know, I was talking to someone who came to Intersect about his experience, and one thing he was really excited about in Intersect was a space to be talking about his sexuality where it doesn't have to be confessional. Um, like, he was relieved that he can just come and, and, and talk about himself and not feel like there needs to be this, like, confessional air to it. And, um, yeah, that's what that comment made me think about. One thing that's helped me, Ryan... I've grown so much from our friendship and it's not areas that I'm proud to have been lacking, but I'm grateful for the way that you have talked about your sexuality Mm -hmm. and uh, orientation and in a way that shifted that for me. Mm -hmm. And it was a way that I wasn't even aware. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought the only time I'm having this conversation is from a confessional basis, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And so I would just, for that person that mm-hmm. you mentioned, um, there can be a way that you can help people. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't have to. And I hate that that's the case. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of it, I think it is it is worth it that I feel grateful mm-hmm. um, that you've helped me through that. And I want more people. Again, you shouldn't have to. <laughs> it's, it's, <Yeah. laughs> it's a burden, you know, and it's, and it's not right. And I want to get there without that. But mm-hmm. I am grateful that we've had those conversations. Mm-hmm. Because then it has changed the way that mm-hmm. I that I see it and see you. Yeah, yeah. Let's get to some positive experiences in the church because those exist too. And I want to make sure we highlight those as well. Um, this one guy, he said, my pastor who is straight and knows my story is great because he's not about to police my language. He's more about the mission of Jesus as a whole, to love, to listen, and to understand before making anyone jump through the hoops who is acceptable here. It's unbelievably gospel-focused. Not very sexy because it brings in a rough crowd, but I'm rough, so it's awesome. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm going to that. Wow, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this one definitely hits home for me. Um, the fact that someone said, when I've told people, it's always been positive, and twice I've found other brothers in the process of telling my story. And that's something that's always magical. When it happens, when you share your story, it like encourages someone else in the room, mm-hmm. metaphorical or literal, to share their story as well. And like if, if nothing else, yeah, just be able to to be able to create a place where 
I can share my story and then that encourages you to share yours, whether it's exactly the same, similar, touches on some, some commonalities. Um, I think that's a really great part of what being the church is about or should be about. So asking for positive negative experiences, I also wanted to just get to the point and just ask, do you feel safe in the church? Or do you feel that as a baseline, do you feel safe in the church? And then optimally, do you feel like you can be nurtured in, in the church and grow holistically, not just in your sexuality, but in all areas of your life? Um, and again, kind of a mixed response. So I just wanted to jump around, get y'all's feedback, thoughts on these, on these stories, real life stories all over the world. Um, someone said, I'm married to a woman and have been for the past 25 years. We have two daughters. Never have I ever felt safe to express my attraction to anyone. At first, I was afraid of how I'd be accepted, but now it's more about being open and how it would affect my wife and daughters. Which I guess an obvious question is to go to Dean and ask, like, do you think about that when you're thinking about telling your story would be different if it was just you and you didn't have anyone else to be accountable to, but you do have a wife and you do have a daughter. Um, how does that play into how you share your story, particularly in the church? Uh, well, it means I've had to make sure that my wife is okay with me sharing the story because uh, not so much in a, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's, uh, blah, 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 blah. that can be cut out, although I know it's going to end up on Yabalon. We're going to use it. Nah. <laughs> Nothing is wasted in God's kingdom. Right? We use every part of the beast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the nothing and wasted is God's kingdom. I know where that comes from, Tom. Your dad has said it to me many times. Oh, has he? <laughs> yes, he has. Hilarious. He has indeed. Shout out to my dad. So it's not even like a getting permission from my wife. It's just making sure that she's on board because it's unfortunately it, it, some people are going to change how they view her because – She's married to me, and when I share my story, it's going to change their perception of her. Um, and it, that, that's not really fair, but it, it's it's what's going to happen. And then, yeah, additionally, for my daughter, she's growing up. It's going to start playing a role in how people even interact with her. Um, and the last thing I want to have happen is for someone to not treat her properly because of my sexuality or have someone make disparaging comments to me about me to her because of my sexuality. And so, I mean, that's something I'm thinking about. And I mean, I'm always going to want to protect my daughter. That's why, you know, her name doesn't get mentioned on the blog or, you know, not even like an age, like it's very, I'm very vague about, about her because I, my goal is always to protect her. But I, I'm also aware that like, Hiding this from her, hiding this part of my life from her is not actually going to protect her because I've experienced what it's like when when my parents hid very big details about their lives from me and I found out as an adult and all I could think was if you had told me earlier, I might have been able to have avoided the same mistakes. But because they were not wanting to either soil their image in my mind, which I can I can understand, or, or just wanting to protect me, which I appreciate. What they ended up doing was setting me up to make the same mistakes because I didn't know, one, to avoid them, or two, I didn't know they would be coming, or, and three, I didn't know I could talk to my parents about them. So, Dean, I was curious because you were talking about just being cognizant of the fact that you have a wife and you have a kid and like including them as far as when you tell your story and, and making sure that they're aware 
uh, or, or at this point, making sure your wife is aware and making sure you have that discussion. So uh, yeah, backtracking, I wanted to like figure out as you were telling your fellow church staff, like what that process was like for you to be able to, was there like trepidation was what kind of conversations, I guess, with your wife were happening as you were like becoming gradually more open with people in your, your work environment in your ministry? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the conversations with, with Lisa started well before, I mean, even, even coming to this church and anything like that, because obviously, you know, when we even started dating, it was acknowledging the two, two matters. And that was one, uh, I, my sexuality wasn't going to change. And two, that I did want to one day be publicly out completely. And so she's known since before we ever got married, that this would be a part of our lives. And so when, uh, when I started approaching the, uh, time of telling the church staff, um, telling the the senior leadership she was involved in that conversation about okay because that one we we weren't sure what was going to happen with with the church you know i'm at now the i I told her i said you know if i tell them as like there's a chance that because this is coming out now after i've been hired um and it didn't they might it's like they they might reconsider my staff position so so we might end up having to uh look for another place to go to move to, to, you know, to work and everything. Um, so she was involved in that. And then even telling more and more staff, there were the conversations beforehand of, okay, you know, this is kind of what we're moving towards. This is who's going to know. Um, and each time just asking her, you know, are you comfortable with this? Um, if so, how did you get there? If not, what are you, what makes you uncomfortable? What aspect of it that, you know, is there something that we can work on? Is this something that, is a perspective uh, shift for you? Is it a concern that I can address with the staff in general of how I present it to them? And so we had those conversations, but like, I mean, like I said, it was, we've always kind of had our relationship, had as a part of our relationship, the knowledge that eventually one day I would be out publicly. So it would always kind of gear towards that. All right. And because we have so many pastors in the room, I wanted to bring this up because this is a, a topic, a very topical topic now. Um, one person said, my church doesn't know what to do with singleness. My pastor is great and he's trying to create a culture of welcomingness to singles. Yeah, I'm just like genuinely curious from, from a pastoral perspective from people in the church. Singleness is on the rise. People are getting married later and later, if at all. And I'm curious, just like even outside of issues of sexuality, like how how's the church approaching singleness? How are you like aware of it or how are you approaching singleness in the church, whether it's, yeah, involving sexual minorities, LGBT people, or, or yeah, just somebody who has a career and doesn't want to get married anytime soon, that kind of a scenario. I think that uh, for me, so not even the church, but just for me as a pastor, the more that I walk with people and the more that I am challenged by either an issue or question uh, or a topic, it grows my knowledge of what Jesus came to do, so the gospel, but also what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And again, that's where that feeling like that really weak gospel is only salvation, mm-hmm. which it certainly is that again. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, I think, is so much more um, the writing on us being 
uh, a body together and a family mm-hmm. together. And I think growing up, you know, w- with this sort of view of gospel as salvation only, the um, those were neat verses. And they made me think of like, well, of course we need a sound guy and a janitor in the church, <laughs> you know. But it's really about not just where you're gifted to serve on mm. Sundays, you know, because mm. like, I, I don't think that uh, Paul had a modern church gathering in mind right. with a sound system mm. and mm. fog machines. Right. <laughs> he was talking yeah. about life every day, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really the gifts uh, that people had being used in one another's lives. So when I think about singleness and, and, and as we've been challenged, it starts with people saying, hey, you're using a lot of examples with marriage and that's generally what happens, you know. Mm-hmm. And so then you start to say, well, marriage is an important part of how, you know, it's used in the gospel and we can talk about it. But then, again, that's a very shallow view. And then mm-hmm. my view of how I connect marriage to the gospel is challenged. And then it ha- those are healthy things. Mm-hmm. So that's my point is like if something gets challenged and it doesn't hold up to uh, the beauty of Scripture and God's intent, then it should fall away. Or it should be minimized. Mm-hmm. And I think that marriage in particular is something that, uh, and family is something that has been really held up almost to an, a level of idolatry in the church. Uh, and if not, even if you wouldn't go so far as to say that, um, it's been, there are a lot more things we can talk about. There are a lot more examples you can use. And there's a lot more way to exist as the church besides just we're a family. Uh, I was go- I mean, I was going to jump in and say, yeah, like, Matt said, I would agree with this point about it sometimes feels like marriage is at the level almost of idolatry. Because um, I remember when I when I got married, everyone was, I had a lot of people say like, oh, you know, say goodbye to your friends, you'll never see them again. And I was just like, that doesn't seem right. I'm not going to lose my community just because I got married. And both Lisa and I have been very intentional about the friends that we had, that we had relationships with, you know, we maintained those. Um, and we, relationships have shifted, but not because we got married, but it was because we, we have moved a few times and um, we're now in a completely different state than where we used to be. And so for, but for us now, like we've always had the intention of having our house open. So, I mean, even after, um, even after moving up here, like shortly, maybe like a year afterwards, uh, I started hosting game nights at my house and it would be several of the young guys at the church that would come over and we'd play board games together. And, um, you know, I would take care of my daughter and, you know, she would sit with me while we played board games. And then if it was bedtime, I put her to bed and I would come back downstairs and we'd play again. And, you know, it just, they were, it wasn't seen as I have my family and then I have my friends. It was, I have my life and I'm going to combine the two together so that way my community sees that they are part of my life and my family sees that they're part of the community. So it's not family and community. It's simply my life and those that I get to live it with. Yeah, I think this ties into how I would answer that question. Um, you know, going back to the question of how have I felt nurtured in my church experience? Um, I mean, I felt safe, but I think for me, for me, the more interesting question is, you know, what about vintage has made me feel nurtured and edified um, in my journey? And I think one of the highlights I can point to is a few times this past year, um, Tyler, our lead teaching pastor, preached on um, First 
Thessalonians 2. And in this in this passage, Paul uses this phrase, affectionately desirous, to describe his, his, his feelings towards the Thessalonians. And, um, and, this, and this isn't what the sermons were necessarily like 100% about, but, um, but it was really helpful to me to see that, yes, in Paul's vision for the church and in Jesus' vision for the church, there is room for this very um, uh, this very passionate kind of love that um, that I have a lot of, and I, I want ex- I want opportunities to kind of give and receive, um, and that there is a place there is meant to be a place for that in the church, and I think that um, creating a place, creating a community with room for single people or LGBT people to give and receive that in the church is kind of one of these keys to um, church being a place for thriving and not just surviving. The other thing I'd say about vintage is something that I almost like miss the forest for the trees on, which is that vintage has given me such a strong sense of mission in my life that, yeah, there's all these, you know, I'll, I'll talk a lot about, you know, my needs as a single person or my needs as a um, as a non-straight person and whether or not the church is meeting those. But at the end of the day, like it's not, that's not really even the point. Like the point is I get to participate in building the kingdom. I get to participate in the mission of advancing the gospel. And, um, and in some ways that's even like the biggest, the biggest way that vintage has edified me in my singleness, in my sexuality, um, and nurtured me toward, towards God's vision for kind of what he wants to do with my life. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I would also point to that as a big thing that churches can do and the good churches do do, um, towards, towards that end. All right. Well, the last question I put out to the yobbers, um, was the fact that as an SSA or an LGBT identifying man, what do you lack or need from the church? And contrastingly, do you believe you have something to offer back? Um, And a lot of the the lacks and a lot of the needs were similar. Um, One person said, an honest lack of brotherhood. I've been asked several times not to discuss my past. Someone else said, I need to know that what I have to offer is valued. I need to know that it's okay for me to express my love for men without being sanctioned or having my motives questioned. I need to constantly be taught what healthy friendship looks like. And then he said, I need unmistakable expressions of affection, Mm. parentheses, sorry, not sorry, Mm. (laughs) for that as well. And then I wanted to read this one. This was a really great comment. The promise of Mark 10, 29 through 30. We see so much in scripture about the family of Christ's church, not as a replacement for a bi- not as a replacement for our biological family, but as a supplement for it in a way that more fully and beautifully reveals the picture of the coming union of Christ and his church. We miss that too often. I wish we would off- more often be the church than just do church. As a single person, perhaps I feel that more deeply because of my relational needs not being met by a spouse or children. My church can do a better job of that, certainly. I do believe I have something to offer back. I try to proceed with humility given my story, but I've always been a connector, and with what I've been through, I think I have a perspective that can both help others avoid mistakes I've made and bring people, especially men, together in richer ways. I don't know, I just thought that was a really beautiful comment because speaking for myself, um, as much as I feel I very much struggle with self-worth and feeling like I have anything to offer the church, but if there's one thing I can latch on to over the last several years of helping get Yab off the ground and writing a couple books and meeting with readers and followers and listeners all over the country. Um, 
there's something that I definitely feel like I have something to offer as far as, a, if nothing else, a listening ear and an empathetic heart to like listen to someone, whether they're going through something with similar sexualities or something completely different. I think this particular struggle and this particular experience in my life has definitely given me that kind of an empathy that I think wouldn't have been there. Maybe it would have been there to some extent, but not nearly as um, rounded, I guess, <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as it is today. Um, what do you guys think? So like for Ryan and for you, Dean, like what are some things that you personally feel like you're lacking or you need from the church? And then I guess on the other side, like what do you have to offer? Do you believe you have something to offer the church in return? I think um, the first thing that comes to mind for me, um, like if I could change one thing about vintage or just even your typical American church is just the culture around touch. Um, You know, I think in our culture, touch is very sexualized uh, between adults and um, well, I guess outside of family really. And, um, you know, and I think that it would be healthy to normalize that more. I think that that's a need that is felt, if not really recognized in many different demographics. Um, I think that's a need that is, uh, felt if not exactly recognized, uh, across many different demographics. I think um, men need to realize how powerful their touch is. Like, it can be really powerfully healing. I think some men need to realize how powerfully destructive their touch can be. <laughs> um, but I think most men just need to realize that um, that if you if you if you're if you have the the spirit of God in you, if you're walking in the spirit, then then your touch is healing. And really, like the the example that we see in Jesus. Uh, leads me to believe that if you're not touching anyone, you're not loving like Jesus did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how often do our churches talk about loving like Jesus did? But there's kind of this blind spot to um, to the way that um, the way that our bodies participate in in the body, the way our bodies participate in relationships, the way our bodies participate in love. Um, you know, it's kind of symptomatic of this bigger American problem of kind of divorcing the the body from the rest of your life, from your mm-hmm. mental life and from your emotional life. So um, I think that's one. I've definitely noticed like just being a part of this world and this community now for the last decade, like there's definitely a greater need and desire for physical touch, for healthy touch in our community. And it's strange because it almost feels like it almost feels like we know something that straight people don't or that mm-hmm. most straight people don't. It's like, oh my gosh, we know that touch is really powerful, like a hand on the shoulder, uh, a yeah. hug for two seconds, for five seconds. And I get the sense, not all not all straight men, certainly, but I get the sense that a lot of straight men just like they have no concepts that they don't even know, like touching someone on the shoulder or hugging them, hello and goodbye at a meeting, you know, like that's something mm-hmm. that goes such a long way um, that a lot of people in our community are like, it's so obvious to us, I guess. And it's, uh, that's something that I think, yeah, I think we can absolutely translate better, um, to the church at large. Cause yeah, Jesus touching lepers, touching the demon possessed. I mean, he's touching all kinds of mm-hmm. crazy people that aren't just non-straight. <laughs> like there's a lot right. of, mm-hmm. a lot of crazy touch going on there. Yeah. And one thing that I feel like I can bring to my community is, um, you know, and this is kind of the example I always come back to when I'm talking about, um, you know, I, I, I want to live out belonging in my community in light of my sexuality and not in spite of it. Mm. And for me, that looks like I have, I have this heart for, um, for intimacy with other men and for masculine closeness. And 
that and and my heart leads me to that and I've seen how when I when I lean into that when I pursue that in healthy ways when I encourage that in my community that that bears fruits in in my circle of friends where um where uh where we as a group build this build this intimacy that I don't think would be happening without uh without me um pursuing that and mm-hmm. building that mm-hmm. I I spent a lot of time thinking about this question because for me it was honestly a tough one. Like, what do I? What is it that I'm lacking? Because I think for me it's it's not really related to sexuality. It's just I, I kind of like what Brian said. I kind of wish we could get rid of some of the uh, cultural baggage that is attached to men that we we can't share feelings, emotions that we. Have to, everything we do has to be rough and tough, almost like I, I, I don't, I don't want it to be attached to that. Um, I would love to have it be normal that I could approach one of the guys in my church, one of the guys I'm closer to, and that it could be normal to say, "Hey, I just can we grab coffee and just talk," and not have it to be, "Here's what we have to talk about," or, um. Let's go do something while we while we talk. I, I like sitting down. Okay, uh, I'm lazy. I just want to sit down and talk. I don't want to get up and move around all the time. And so, not having to always make it about doing something or make it about the being like proving our masculinity. Like just actually getting to sit down and talk about life and being open and vulnerable with each other. I wish we could move past that cultural mandate that keeps us from really doing that and, uh, and start embracing that. Um, cause I, a, a few years ago I tried to start up a men's small group and I had one guy that joined me, uh, and it was great to be able to talk with him. But even when I had one of the guy kind of join us a few times, but even then all he wanted to do was talk about woodworking. Like, you get to, you got to anything started to get too personal and he would shrug it off and immediately start talking about a table he wanted to build. And I was just like, is this, is this really what's happening right now? Like I, people, <laughs> <laughs> the worst. Right. <laughs> I was like, I, this conversation was going well until you got uncomfortable. Like what? It is just, he, there's not a knowledge. And so that group didn't ever really go on because we couldn't get one thing. We couldn't get guys to even, be interested in something that wasn't immediately involved with their work or doing some sort of physical activity. Just the idea of sitting down and talking about the Bible wasn't enough to interest a lot of the guys around me. And so that's kind of what I'm lacking is just the ability to have that happen more organically around me because it feels like there has to be some sort of stereotypical masculine activity attached to the meeting to really make it purposeful for them. Can I add this about touch? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hugger. Mm-hmm. I'm not someone who, you know, I'm more like words of affirmation. Great. Thank you. Um, but there, it was a few years ago and I had been on stage. I don't even remember what I was doing. I just remember feeling spent and not necessarily in like a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And it was in our old building and I walked all the way to the back and Matt Nickerson was there, mm-hmm. and uh, and he is um, an incredibly sensitive, wonderful man. Mm-hmm. And I just put my mic down, and he was running sound, and he just embraced me. And I've never forgotten that because mm-hmm. it was what I needed 
and I didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. And he could sense something in me and the way that he responded to that. If he had just said, hey, good job up there, um, it it would have just gone right over my head. Mm-hmm. But the way that he embraced me, I've never forgotten that. And that mm-hmm. was one of the first times, not that I've been hugged, one of the first times that mm-hmm. uh, I felt, wow, there was a communication that just happened mm-hmm. that I needed and I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And so since then, um, even though I wouldn't classify myself as you know a hugger or anything like that, uh, I'm much more receptive, and also I would say I'm saying this to say you're right mm. that that connection that you have to touch and that ability to help others in that is a gift that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I, and I will say like I've known I've known that about you, and and I've seen how over the course of our relationship, like you've opened up more in terms of touch and hugs and. Um, and I think like from, from my point of view in this relationship and many other relationships, you know, it's, it's a good exercise to, um, you know, remember that, Hey, not everyone experiences, you know, life the same way. And, um, and it means more to me when people kind of do that on their own and, and, and sort of, um, you know, initiate on their own than, you know, me constantly like, you know beating them over the head with, you need mm-hmm. to, you need to be touching. You need to be touching. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Yeah. So I, relationships yeah, I, are I, I two ways and we exactly. all have to give and receive. And yeah. sometimes two people are just more in sync as far as things that they, as far as the love languages go to, to break mm-hmm. it down into, to language, you know, like some people are physical touch people or some people are words of affirmation people. But I think, yeah, to be able to recognize what's resonates with somebody else and maybe it's a little mm-hmm. out of your comfort zone, but to be able to mm-hmm. love somebody um, not only by doing the action, but yeah, taking that initiative to do it when it doesn't come as naturally to you, like that speaks volumes for sure. And I point to people in my life too, who have, uh, gone out of their way to do that for me. Yeah. And if you only find friendships that you're comfortable with in the way that it operates, Mm -hmm. that's based on you. Mm -hmm. That's a very selfish approach to friendships. Yeah. So Matt, you and I have talked about this before, but like for the benefit of our listeners, because I've had a few different conversations along these lines with different people in the Yob community. Um, so when church leadership seems slow to act or speak on topics surrounding same-sex attraction or homosexuality, um, like what should we imagine is going on behind the scenes? Like, uh, or in other words, like how much of the frustration that we might feel about that, like how much of that is fair versus, um, versus like what, Maybe maybe there's some other ways to think about it or another perspective to have that helps us to be patient, helps us to kind of persevere through that frustration. There is a reality to um, the hats you wear in ministry are mm-hmm. many. Mm-hmm. And there are always fires to put out. And I'm not saying this is a fire. I'm saying that my plan, my account every week is a joke yeah. because it just gets wrecked. Mm-hmm. And... So there, there, is, there is a reality to that. However, I would say for someone who is wanting to know how do I get things moving or, or I have a sense that I'm being neglected, mm-hmm. that, there's, uh, that they keep reaching out. Mm-hmm. And, and not in the same way. Mm-hmm. Not in a when's this going to happen. But maybe even a uh, is there anything like almost like what's keeping it from moving along mm-hmm. is there a hesitation and if so let's talk about that yeah. maybe there's um 
maybe to ask someone, do you have any hesitations about this mm-hmm. outright? Are there any roadblocks you see that might come? What do you think people's reaction will be to this? Almost mm-hmm. asking because if someone brings up something like Intersect and then says, I want to do this, and they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Well, think about it. Usually that means they're going to go talk to maybe the community groups person and go, is, mm-hmm. there, a pl- is there a place for this in small groups or community groups? So they're going to talk to somebody and say, how do we advertise this? They're thinking through things, mm-hmm. and with um, with the growth that needs to happen in the church, mm-hmm. in welcoming and loving um, the SSA brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. then we need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been very gracious in helping because even you bringing something up, I'm I'm trying. We've had conversations about mm-hmm. the scope and scale and and how we promote it and how we do that. And I think that there just needs to be a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Um, but I think saying I feel neglected uh-huh. uh, gives the person a chance to say uh, either I'm so sorry, uh-huh. you know, and let's get it going. Or maybe it'll open up mm. the airwaves. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really helpful answer. Because, I mean, to make something like Intersect happen or even just to have these this kind of dialogue in general, these these conversations really takes a lot of uh, patience and charity on both sides that, you know, we just have to realize that, you know, our, our experience of the other person's actions or words is only just like one part of the picture. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I, I would just encourage, um, our listeners in, in that. And my other question for you is, uh, what, what encouragement would you have for, um, for gay or SSA or non-straight congregants who are kind of struggling to um, persevere in like working towards these changes that they want to see in the church or even just struggling to feel like the church can be a good home for them. Um, I guess from your perspective as a pastor, um, what would you, what would you say to those folks? In a, in a, in a church, maybe that's not as, hopeful yeah i guess um or maybe let's take a more broader view of they're struggling to see how um like how the body of christ can really fulfill the stuff that we've talked about during this episode of being like a real community where real life happens and real intimacy can happen i think a big part of following jesus is hope Mm. and then you know and hope mm-hmm. is what is unseen. Mm-hmm. And so even if they can't see it yet or can't imagine that yet, mm-hmm. I think that what we see is the desire of God um, with each person Jesus interacted with. Um, they didn't know how he would react. They didn't know how what Christian community looked like. And mm-hmm. that's what he led us into. Mm-hmm. And at every step of that, it was it was intimate, it was personal and it was very focused on an individual mm-hmm. and that's and and that's where i think there's a hope of love that can come from a christian community you know and i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know how it can fulfill all of the the longings that we've talked about all of the feelings of um what it looks like to have a place in the church mm-hmm. that there's also a big part that i don't know that yeah. i'm that i'm still learning and so, um, but I think I would just say it made it easy. I knew you 
Mm-hmm. So when you first posted on your blog, like I knew you mm-hmm. and that was really helpful. And we didn't know each other well, but mm-hmm. um, being known and then taking a step, you know, and, and obviously that's a case by case scenario, but uh, talking to a pastor, I mean, if they say they love Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at the life of Christ, it's hard to turn someone away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You can't reconcile that. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. So if somebody's walking with Jesus, then you can't turn someone away. Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's yeah. helpful or not. No, I really appreciate that answer. That's a great answer. Thanks. All right. So regarding what someone in this community needs, one of our yobbers said this, I need intimacy. If the church is going to say no, they need to offer something better. Right now, most churches just say, don't have gay sex and move on to their next sermon series about families. Rosaria Butterfield gets this, hence her new book on hospitality. I believe we all need intimacy, spaces to be our messy selves. I need this from the church. And yes, I have so much. God gave SSA Christians spiritual gifts too. And last I checked, being gay wasn't one of them. We are an asset to the gospel and our keen understanding of sacrifice. The church needs us just as much as we need them. Several years ago, I was attending a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, called Renovatus, a church for people under renovation, a place for liars, dreamers, and misfits, and it struck all the chords in my story-minded brain, my story-minded heart, the triumphant parts, and the broken ones, a place where all were welcome, truly and deeply welcome made most evident by a ritual at the end of every service, every single service, coming to the Lord's table, joining in the Eucharist, partaking in communion together. And while I never shared my story on a large scale at Renovatus, I was fortunate enough to share with a couple people, a couple dear and precious people. I'd like to think that if I could do it all over again, or if I had crossed paths with this community, with this church, in another season, that maybe it would have gone differently. Maybe I could have shared my entire story. Struggles with sexuality and masculinity. Struggles with self-worth, belonging. But something I will never forget or regret were those moments at the table feeling like an equal, even when everything inside of me screamed I was unequal and didn't belong. Before stepping out of our pews and and lining up to go down to the front to receive the elements, we, all of us together, would recite this liturgy. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come. You who have much faith, and you who have little. You who have been here often, and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow, and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. And so, my brothers, You who have been here from the beginning, and you who have not been here long. You who have a church, or a group, or a pastor, or family even, 
where you are wholly welcomed, and you who still long for such things. Rest in this, that Christ himself welcomes you at his table, even if others, even those called by his name, do not welcome you at theirs. You are loved and adored, and your story is beautiful. Your story is needed, and your story, your story uniquely, will bring God much glory. All right, great episode, guys. This was a lot of fun, and not just because we had vintage Jesus here, but <laughs> that was that was just yeah the icing on the cake for yeah. a really great, otherwise great episode. Otherwise, yeah, very great. So awesome, and yeah, love talking about this. I love talking about LGBT ministry because I mean it's needed, and I think this is great that we even have the opportunity to do this. Honestly, I. I could never have imagined actually having three people who work in LGBT ministry to talk about this one day. Right. And here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a great conversation, and we would love to hear y'all's stories. We shared a bunch on this episode from our Yabbers group. And whether you're a Yabber or not, I'd love to hear your story. So if you want to contribute your story to this conversation, um, you can do so over at our blog. If you go to yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast, you can find the episode 46 post. And leave us a comment. Tell us a story about your experience in the church, positive or not so positive. Um, and then maybe, yeah, hone in on that question. Like, what do you feel you lack in the church or that you need need in your life in, in the church? And and conversely, also, what do you have to offer the church? Like, look in the mirror and tell us what you have to offer. Because I think everybody has something to offer this messy body of people. And so I'd love to hear what y'all's stories are. The drum I'm always beating is you need the church and there's a church out there that needs you. Put that on a bumper sticker. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, so leave us a comment. That'd be awesome. And a big shout out to Trax for sponsoring this episode. (laughs) So Absolutely no shout out to Trax. No shout out to Trax. What if Vintage made like an ironic track? Can we make a Vintage (laughs) Jesus track? (laughs) Dean, you would love that, admittedly. You would love that. We'll send you a few. That Jesus okay, riding I'm... on a donkey on a track, that would be fantastic. <laughs> okay, that's about the only track I would ever love, so yes. Come join the church. It's never been as fun. That's a good <laughs> that's great. That was not vintage Jesus. That was, that was awesome. Oh, uh, if only Kevin were here. Kevin would really appreciate uh, this moment. Big shout out to Kevin, who also loves the, the vintage Jesus episodes. Yeah, Matt, thank you so much for joining our episode for silliness, but also for just your perspective as someone in ministry, someone who works at a church. That's really, really awesome. I've been wanting to have like other voices on the show for a while. So hopefully we can start incorporating other people out there outside, even outside of our community. Like it's really great to hear from other people in, mm-hmm. in the body. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that additional perspective makes the content so much more useful to like a wider audience. For sure. People who are, uh, who are in ministry full time and, um, you know, I can, we, Dean and Tom and I can talk about like what it's like from our side of things, but I think Matt has this insight, Matt, you have this insight that, and and some wisdom that maybe like people who are on more your side of things can, can connect to more and maybe integrate a little more. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really helpful. I really appreciate you being here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're welcome. It's, it has been an honor um, to be here. I've really looked forward to it, but also I just want to say the whole, 
Yabber Nation, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. The Yabberverse. Yeah, yeah, the Yabberverse. Um, I'm so grateful for you all, not just for one another, for that you're there for one another, but for someone like me, um, it is really encouraging the the faith that you're walking. I'm encouraged by, um, and also you know the from the podcast to the blog and the resources that you put out there is huge in helping someone like me um, grow in my knowledge of Christ. Mm. So I'm really grateful for you. Well, awesome. awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we're all here to encourage and illuminate each other and all our different capacities. So this is fun. Let's have another conversation sometime y'all that'd be great yeah and uh i guess that's gonna do it for this episode for all your other brothers this is tom this is ryan this is dean hugs and kisses and this is jesus (laughs) reminding you that you're not alone even the sparrow finds a home see you next time everybody (laughs) i was hoping oh my gosh oh my gosh Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Navigate more with us at yourotherbrothers.com and comment on this episode at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Subscribe to our show to never miss an episode. And if you enjoy what we do, consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at yourotherbros. If you'd like to further support our storytelling effort, consider becoming a yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly and receive perks like calls with authors and other supporters, access to a secret Facebook group, and additional podcast content. Visit patreon.com slash yourotherbros for more information. Don't miss our monthly bonus podcast on Patreon, The Yabalog, featuring responses to previous podcasts, content not featured in public episodes, calls from listeners, and more. Ask us a question or tell us a story by leaving us a message at 706-389-8009. If you're new to the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com. You can also write us at Your Other Brothers, P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. Until we journey next time, we're glad you're with us.